episode number 28 this week. Um, coming off a two-day race weekend and some other cool stuff. How are you today, Brent? Oh, man. Ecstatic. Stoked. I'm uh, pretty choked up. What a wicked day. Yeah. Um, look, we're going to get straight into it. Uh, our guest this week, who I announced last week, has turned up, which I always seem to jinx every time I go, next week's guest is. Um, yeah, and through no fault of their own, that is, of course. Um, but yeah, so Ross Tapper uh, from Targa West is sitting in the waiting room. He uh, has been running that for, God, nearly 20 years or so. Um, they won the 2019 Event of the Year for Western Australia at uh, the Motorsport Australia Awards back in March. And he joins us right about now. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight, uh, Ross. How's your week been? Um, it's been a good week. It's been far less stressful, but we still got heaps on and um, just trying to recover from Targa West, which was now eight days ago. Um, people say, I'm glad it's over, but these things are never over. You still got to wrap up, got to have debriefs with all the local governments and your sponsors and and still receive emails from people wanting to know bits and pieces. So it's still full on, but the, the event's over. And um, we're now also working on our GD Fabrication Bunbury Sprint, which is 5th of December, and a rally sprint down at the Motorplex um, Thursday next week. Busy, busy, busy all year round. I think, um, yeah, it's a lot of people don't realise that those events don't just happen and then... That's it. Let's uh, pack it all up and we're done for the year. It's, uh, yeah, no, yeah, very, it's very a lot more to it than that. And, and I appreciate people. No, it's like building a rally car to a certain extent. Like You can easily say, well, you're glad their event's over, but if you're taking your car home with issues, well, what do people do? They're going to pull it apart and start rebuilding it and getting it ready for the next one. So it's just a continuous, continuous process of building events and and then um finding out what worked what didn't work thank those who helped us and and hopefully you can continue and run it again next year is, is the plan yeah now um you've been doing Targa west for i believe it's about 20 years is that right uh, 16 years 16 years this is our 16th so uh, Bob Schrader um, was the, the backbone to it. And like he and I, or he found um, me through Adrian Stafford when Bob was running the Tradesman Expo um, at McCallum Park and Adrian owned opposite lock. So they got to know each other and Bob Adrian asked Adrian who could help him run a tarmac rally and um, Adrian put him on to me. And a few other people have also told Bob that um, who knew Bob through um, MG Car Club and other clubs that he belonged to. And so we got together um, probably 18 years ago. We talked about it for 12 months until um, I eventually told him I didn't like coffee and um, let's stop drinking it and start running rallies. So <laughs> um, we then spent 12 months putting it all together and, and got lucky and, and it's still running 16 years later. So what was your background before Tarmac, uh, before Target West? Like, how did they decide that you were the person to to be uh, involved uh, and help get it up and running? Yeah, I've been running um, gravel rallies 
since the late 1970s um, and I've now run um, the Australian Rally Championship, which is the Forest Rally. I've run that uh, for 30 years continuously. So i um, been very heavily involved in the WA Rally Championship and the Australian Rally Championship. And um, I must admit that I wasn't um, necessarily a fan of tarmac rallying, but when an opportunity came to be a partnership in it, um, I thought, well, if it's not me, it's going to be someone else and I'll kick myself for the rest of my life. So jumped into it and I'm um, glad that I did. And because uh, last year for the 2019 Motorsport Australia Awards, uh, you took out the event of the year for Western Australia. Um, and back then you and I actually had a quick little interview and, you know, obviously you said, you know, it's a huge amount of effort goes into it by yourself um, and Jan, uh, Dave, and of course all your officials and being recognised by as the best event in the state means a lot, and especially when there's so much on. So you know, is that just you, you've been working at it so hard so long that, you know, that that's what's going to happen. Yeah, that's, you believe, the natural progression to get that sort of an award? Or is it just, you know, you guys are the best? <laughs> that's for other people to decide. And everyone loves their own version of motorsport. Um, like, no. If, if Target West wasn't around or railing in general wasn't around, I wouldn't be up at up at Wanneroo because... No, that's that form of motorsport is, is not what I enjoy. I'd probably be doing autocrosses or motorcarnas rather than um, motor racing. But everyone loves their own version of motorsport, which is good, which makes us all different. It's yeah. Now, if you look at an athlete, some run around in circles, some run a hundred meters and stop, and and others for silly enough to go and run twenty six miles or something. Isn't a marathon something stupid like? And that's no difference between motorsport people. Some like going around around circles at a speedway. Others do drag racing. Others will do a motor racing circuit. And um, rally people like to be able to get out there and stretch their legs and and go through 3,000 corners rather than the same corners repetitively. Just different ways of how we all work. (laughs) (laughs) Back in um, in the early days of you getting involved with motorsport, um, did you have a bit of a team behind you then that's still with you now, or have you sort of changed it up over the years? And oh, um, like I've always been in the WA Car Club. Um, it's the club that I joined. It was the club I got into the sport through my father. Um, when we were young, he would go off and do a few navigation rallies um, as a co-driver or navigator, as they were back then. Um, he was in the WA Car Club in the 50s and as a young guy that's what I wanted to do is join the club um, some of the, the club members from back then are still around in the sport um, wasn't long before I fed, met some good friends and, um, Bob Nicoli and Kim Marchant and Graham Mackay and you know, Greg Flood was back in those days he was in the club before I so some of us have been around since the 70s and um we're still doing it, still in the sport and doing different things. Yep. The um, Forest Rally this year returned to some of the uh, Australia Rally Championship stages down through Collie and all that. Was that pretty exciting to get back to those stages? 
Yeah, well, Connolly's always been there as an experts cup. It was a, I must admit, it was a bit of a sales pitch that I didn't start. That someone else grabbed it, <laughs> probably Diane Bordaletto, who went, "Oh wow, it's old WR, no WRC stages." But but we added into it um, the the Brunswick and the Harvey Weir stage, which we haven't rallied on since um, Rally Australia. And um, and another stage uh, which we call Palmer because it's on Palmer Road, um, which very rarely gets used for rallying at all, um, just because it's just on the side of the Wellington Dam stages. So it was great to get back in there. Um, it all came about because of COVID, in that the Forest Rally was all ready to run down at Nanup, and John Gibbons was the clerk, of course. And we we're I think it was three or four weeks away before the event when it was cancelled. So. Um, we and at the last minute we got you know everyone was presuming it COVID would be around for a few weeks or a few months and then we'd be able to get competing again so um, Justin Hunt asked us he was the ARC manager and asked us if we could run a simple event so we came up with what we ran which was closer to Perth so less time away from work and less um, accommodation costs than being down at Bustledon and Nanup um, and sold the picture. It was the WRC road. So, and no, a fair bit of it was the same as the Experts Cup that we've been rallying on um, since the 70s. Um, but there was also those new stages, and it worked really well. You mentioned Justin Hunt, and um, we've, we've had a few guests on that he's asked me to ask the same question of and although he didn't ask me to ask you he'll probably kick me if I don't ask him this question <laughs> and he, he he always asks if he's the best looking deputy clerk of course uh in rallying would you would you say yes or no to that oh, I'd have to say no to that like <laughs> who does he think he is oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, good laugh he's um I think we, we had Dean Herridge on and had to ask that question and then we had uh uh, Mike Smith won the uh, Forest Rally. Mike Young. Mike Young, yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah so uh, both of them gave very awkward answers. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, Justin's a good friend and a hard worker. And um, as you know, he ran the Australian Safari, so he's got a lot of experience and um, uh, he's good at helping us out. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, with your, uh, you know, you do the the rally uh, sprints at Quinano Motorplex, and of course that's all kicking off again now that they've reopened. Is there any, like, one of the biggest things that's going around the world at the moment is rally cross, and you know that mixture, you know, of tarmac and dirt and jumps and excitement and that. Is that something, anything you guys would ever look at doing? Uh, if there was a venue, and you got to be careful in in something like that, is that um, like those cars are more powerful than a world rally cars. So we all sit back and watch them on our TVs or you know, YouTube or whatever, and go, "Oh wow, how good are they?" But like they're very powerful cars um, on purpose-built you no know, circuits. Like to try and run anything like that up at, let's say, Barbagello, um, the infield there is just so sandy, it would, the cars would just get bogged. So you'd have to 
build a million dollar track for them to be able to come on and off the tarmac um, potentially could do something down at Collie but once again no, there isn't the dirt roads that run on and on and off the um, tarmac roads um, back in my earlier days 30 odd years ago we ran something like that at the Bunbury Speedway but once again, once you got off the, um, the the speedway clay and ran through the infield, the cars were getting bogged. So um, it was great fun. I, I organised and then competed and it was great fun, but they were very short-lived. So, yeah, and and, and to be, you've got to be committed to go door handle to door handle on, on an uneven surface. Like, it's fair enough when you're up on a race circuit because you know you're not going to get the the cars are not going to get hit in ruts and bounce over but um when you start bouncing around as you, you know if you watch the, the rally cross there's a fair bit of panel damage is done on them and they just rip off the panel and bolt on another panel well if you're running your your subaru or your mitsubishi or whatever it's a fairly expensive exercise to to do that um justin dow tried to run them over in Victoria, semi-successfully. Everybody loved them who were competing. Um, but then they, they died out last year or earlier this year. And I don't think he's trying to get them up and running. I think he'd love to. But, you know, you need a backbone of 30-plus cars to be able to make something like that work. Mm. Yeah, it is just something, yeah, obviously, as you said, yeah, people see it all on YouTube and they go, yeah, that'd be awesome here. And, you know, to hear yeah. the actual... I guess we, we don't have no. If, if you had Alistair McRae, I think Alistair McRae's done a few of them. Like if you had Alistair McRae in a 650 horsepower um, Fiesta or something, well, yeah, we'd all love it. But but no, it's a probably I don't know how much those cars cost half a million dollars plus. So um, it's not something that you could build in your backyard, but but then you need the, the roads to put them on, and you could do turn an, an autocross circuit into something like that. Um, but you then need no. If you ran six cars at a time, you, you need no, thirty cars to keep them, keep them moving and and then show it off. So. It's, it'd be good fun to do, but um, it's not as easy and as cheap as what people seem to think that it would be. Um, back to you, you mentioned you competed in rallycross. Uh, that what what else have you done in in motorsport with your competing? Um, well, I used to to, to rally, and that's my car behind me there, a GB Galant. Um, didn't take me long to figure out that I'm probably a, a better event organiser than I was a competitor. But you know, let's say in those days, with uh, Dunkerton was around a little bit, but there was Clive Slater and Frank Johnson and Bob Nicoli, and you, know, you could rattle off a whole heap of very talented drivers. Um, so it was fairly hard to get into the you know, to win a championship. And I just sat to sit with Bob Nicoli and Clive Slater and realised I'd never be at their talent, but rallying. So started off at WA Car Club and Motocanas up at Moolabini um, and, and even out on 2J Airstrip, a few autocrosses, um, organised no Motocanas, Carnacrosses, autocrosses, rallies, but uh, no, for many years it was just anything that was on dirt. What was your uh, best finish in a rally? 
No idea, mate. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> <laughs> My claim to fame was the Sunday Times Safari where it was when 6PR was following it and I got my name mentioned on the radio that a few mates at work heard so <laughs> but uh, I don't know probably around about 10th or something like that yeah I certainly haven't got a shelf full of trophies I've handed out a hell of a lot more trophies than I've ever won in the sport but I thoroughly enjoyed it um, yeah but uh, no, you either got to do one or the other I guess back when dirt rally started a lot of the tracks and that weren't really there and you know, did you guys end up building your own no it's the, the sports evolved and that's something that that rallying is 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 totally evolved over the years and that say um let's say in the i don't know, probably started in the late 50s early 60s of navigation rallies and they've go from Perth to Albany to Esperance to Kalgoorlie and, and back to Perth almost continuously over two days and, and working off maps and then, you know, your HR Holdens and Volkswagens and all those sorts of things. And then um, in the mid-70s, uh, we started to run um, special stage rallying, as we know. Some of the navigation rallies would be 50-50, half of it in the forest and half in the, out in the wheat belt area. And then it became the cars were getting too fast. And also, you know, I was one of the ones who pushed to stop navigation rallies, uh, which was fairly controversial at the time. But you'd be going out into you know, farmland. So the young lads would be playing football all day and get onto the grog. And we'd be in our rally cars and they'd be finding their way home. And we'd be in their rally cars roaring past them or or getting lost and going into farmhouses and, and doing a, you know, a broggy in their, at their front fence of their, their farm and coming back out again. It's been known for farmers to let off their shotgun at the rally car that's disappearing out of his gate. And, and it was all, and, and we'd be going right through to the night until the sun was up. Um, and that just changed until we went to special stage rallying. Um, when I started, the, the forest is full of roads, absolutely full, because um, the way they were foresting was either with little trains weaving their way through the forest from Mundaring th- down to Harvey. And so all, and then they, when they ripped up all the railway lines, they became formations that we could, that were just beautiful roads to drive on. And then there'd be a whole heap of other roads for relatively small trucks to um, be able to drag the wood out. So, but probably from the 80s onwards, as the trucks got bigger, the trains had long disappeared. Um, and so we were, the roads that were, no, were quite narrow to compete on disappeared. And over time, we virtually, not so much shrunk down, but we've virtually been restricted to um, pine plantations. Um, we still run the carry rally in state forest down at Manjimup. Um, no, we've never built a road. We've never knocked down trees or anything to, to build roads. We might trim branches off the roads that we compete on. But the, the general, well, it's now Department of Biodiversity, Conservation and Attractions, DBCA, DBCA own the roads that we compete on. Um, the Light Car Club has run events around Boddington on, on farmland. This year we ran a, a rally out of Baker's Hill on Tolly Chalice's farm. 
but you're restricted to the distance. If you want to get you know, up to around about 100 kilometres of competition, well, you, you've got to get out into the um, out into the forest and, and pine plantations. Our restrictions and challenges is the whole Darling escarpment from Mundaring to um, to Collie is it's either water catchment or it's dieback, and so we just can't get get in there for you know, for government restrictions. Not just rallying, but hell of a lot of recreation activities are not allowed in state forests. So um, we we go into the pine plantations and and um, yeah, where there's quite nice roads, it's good fun. Have you got a um, favourite state or favourite road that you? would like either like competing on or like running rallies through um probably the ferndale plantation that we ran the forest rally on for many years we may be back there again next year it's all to be decided but uh ferndale's what is it southwest of kirup it's a plantation with plenty of hills so there's a lot of a lot of the plantations really nice wellington dam naturally is a very nice plantation but Ferndale is special to me because it's probably the hilliest area that we compete in. Um, and WA is so flat, so to get something where there's a bit of up and down and twists and turns and etc. is um, just good fun. It's just enjoyable. Even setting a rally, just driving along at 60 kilometres an hour, it's just an enjoyable drive. Um, but to be able to compete on it is something special again. The um, cars that compete in... Uh, rallies are quite diverse, um, you know, older cars through to newer cars, lots of Evos and WRXs and all those sort of things. Um, we'll talk about electric cars in a second, but have you got a favourite sort of style of car or, you know, that you love seeing still out there now or that you prefer to or would you like to see back on the roads? Um I like a lot of people have their classics as their favourites. I like to see the sport moving and staying relatively modern. So yeah, just about every car that's 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 run um, at some stage or other, you think what a lovely car it is. Um, but no, to me at the moment, you can't go past John O'Dowd's Skoda um, or at ARC, uh, Harry Bates in his um, Toyota Yaris, which is what we call AP4, which is effectively the same as the R5 Skoda. Um, to me, especially on, on the dirt, that's a, a genuine, what I would call a rally car designed and built to go rallying. Mm. Four-cylinder turbo, high revving car, um, exceptionally good handling, very light. Um, I suppose then when you get into tarmac rallying where there's opportunities for you know, the Porsches and you know, even Peter Orlo's Lotus, um, the Evos and seem to, you know, even though uh, Mark Greenham won this year, uh, the Evos are certainly going to start getting to the end of their life relatively soon. Subarus are still popular um, in gravel rallying. Um, but there's not many of them performing exceptionally well in tarmac rallying at the moment. Hopefully Matt O'Neill will come back sometime soon and we'll start seeing him in, in his WRX and see how he goes against the current batch of guys. Now, um, the last couple of Targa events, a electric car has actually won in the class 
And that's the uh, Gemtech EV Racing Tesla. Now, I've spent a bit of time with those guys, and I actually think they're a bunch of nutbags, and they're actually quite cool, <laughs> quite cool you know. Um, John, uh, who is their techie guy, um, has created a portable charger in the back of a, a Hyundai electric car, which gets charged from a main station, and uh, he's also done the whole... Um, he got sick of everyone giving him crap about uh, charging a Tesla with diesel, um, yep. so he's now actually built chip fryer fueled uh, charging station mm. um, are you hoping to see more and more of these electric cars come through um, well the answer of course is yes because because they're going to um, like a Tesla we run the target city sprint on on around the, the city stage on Sunday morning and a Tesla came second in that with um, no, which is fairly exceptional that, that they, they're certainly very competitive cars. Um, as we were saying before we started this podcast was that um, they are the way of the future. Uh, to me, the issue is the fact that they've got no noise. Um, there's certainly something about motorsport and a high revving engine. Um, strangely, when we were down at Pemberton, because Jurgen and Helen were a class of themselves. We in Targa, we generally run slowest to fastest, and I knew they'd run over the top of everybody that was in front of them. So we ran them first car, and the photographers are complaining they didn't hear the car coming, so they didn't get any photos taken. <laughs> so um, there's things like that. Um, they're talking about attacking, having a crack at 165 next year. Um, we gave them some dispensation this year to be able to charge pretty much whenever they liked, um, whereas all the other cars have to go back to a refill area so we aren't pouring petrol all over the place. Um, a little bit of controversy about that, but I'm more than happy to support these um electric cars to see where it goes, see what the future is. They've certainly um, got the acceleration. They're a heavy car. And at the moment, um, no, they're not, they haven't turned the, the Tesla into a full-on rally car. Who's going to do that first? Um, we'll wait and see whether these guys do or not. They keep um, talking about what they think they might like to do. If they're going to um, start running, let's say, outright position, well, you know, they've got to figure out a way of how they can get through, especially on Targa West on the Saturday, uh, which is just, a, you know, from the time the guys that get up in the morning to the end of the day, it's just a go, go, go day. So um, very limited, limited time to do more than, a, you know, chuck in a, a bit of fuel and keep going, whereas the, the electric cars take longer to refuel them. So... We need to figure out how how they can do that, but whether they're um, a podium finisher in the next year or two, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But certainly encourage them to keep having a crack at it, and um, very good at doing their PR, which is good for them, good for us. And um, when we ran Targa Southwest, they were worldwide news in the electric car field. So yeah. <laughs> uh, for us to run our relatively small rallies compared to what's going on around the world and getting world-class um, media coverage was um, good to see. I think the um, the controversy, controversy, I guess, from that, 
the refu- you know, re- refueling a, a Tesla is, I guess, from not understanding that it's uh, there, there really is no advantage given to them um, by doing that because it's actually a, a disadvantage if they can't do that because they do, you know, when they lose charge, they lose their top end speed. Yeah. Um, yep. So I guess you know being able to still do that is is probably pretty much leveling the playing field, and that's probably why the dinosaur drivers uh, don't don't like that. <laughs> yeah, I learned, like I'm probably remote from a lot of that sort of stuff because strangely I don't even go out on the rally that we organise. That yeah. <laughs> we we run it out of the Hyatt Hotel, um, half a dozen of us in the Hyatt, following it on Rally Safe from radios and telephones and all that. So what people are gossiping about in the service parks, we don't hear, which is probably a good thing. Um, but um, <laughs> uh, like even even refueling it from diesel and people have a laugh about the fact that this great big diesel motor turns up, but the amount of diesel they use is minuscule to the amount of um, 98 octane fuel that's being used to run the other cars around. So yeah, um, yeah it just looks funny that you've got this car with a great big diesel motor and smoke coming out of the exhaust pipe but that's like that'll change soon it it won't be many years before someone invents a battery that will do easily do a thousand kilometers or whatever and will recharge reasonably quickly so as soon as that happens um we'll all be in them so australians are i don't follow it closely but australians are uh, are not big electric car fans because we all think that we we drive from Perth to Kalgoorlie to Albany or down to Dunsborough or no, Coral Bay, but the reality is 90% of our driving is within the metro area yeah. and less than 100 kilometres a day. So, um, yeah, like you speak to people who own these cars, they drive to work and their work's got solar power. They plug them in at work and they drive them home. Their house has got solar panels and batteries and relatively running their cars at no expense. So um, the rest of the world's doing it. Australia seems to be objecting a little bit, not embracing it the same as what Europe's doing. Because they say we all think that we drive massive kilometres when... Um, if you had a two-car two-car household, well, one of those cars is not going to do a lot of kilometres between recharging or refuelling. So it is the way of the future. Yeah. Um, I'm going to hand you over to Brent now, and uh, Brent's going to ask you a few questions. Usually we get a couple of our, our uh, uh, listeners... Uh, watchers and that to ask a few questions. So, um, yeah, I'll hand you over to Brent and then we'll have a bit of a chat uh, after that. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'll, I'll go easy. Normally I ask um, more sort of driver-based questions, but I've got, got a few uh, fan submissions for you. There's a, you got, you got a bit of a um, following there. <laughs> so... I think it's me personally. Maybe the target listeners. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. You're, you're the guy, and um, yeah, there's a few people have asked me to ask you very specific things. Some of them are on the, you know, the border. You know, we talked about the the refueling for the Tesla already, and you know, the Evo guys and the turbocharged guys that want to go E85 because it's it's better for the environment, whatever. But then they got to carry so much fuel they couldn't actually do a stage anyway. So that's obviously going to you know thrash out some some stuff in the years to come. I'm, 
I'm with you. The, the, and we've said it before on the podcast a hundred times before that the electrical vehicles are the way of the future. Whether we like it or not, whether you are a fan or not, it's going to suit 80% of the commuters. And uh, as soon as the country gets over this whole trying to protect a local market that doesn't even exist anymore and the, and the cars yep. are back to the value that they should be, um, yeah, you'll see a lot, lot more of them coming in. You know, every day, like every day in the city, you're seeing plenty of Model 3s getting around and plenty of Model Xs getting around. Uh, the Hyundai's, you know, it's starting to get pretty common. This and Leafs are popping up everywhere. So, yeah, it'll it'll take another generation, and I think you're right. Spot on. Everyone's second car, grocery getter, whatever you want to call it, will be a yep. electric car. Like my wife had a, a Prius when she was working, and it was, um, no, before there were any electric cars, but it was a hybrid, and for her to drive to the railway station and back five days a week and go to the shops on Saturday, it was it's the perfect car. And Yeah. Um, yeah it, yes, it had a petrol engine in it, but you could get a lot of kilometres out of it before you have to refuel. Yeah. Even, even the um, Toyota Corollas that we had as... Um, um, as our course cars supplied by Midland Toyota, the guys picked them up, and you know, distance to refill was over a thousand kilometres. Well, because um, they were hybrid Corollas. Well, like, yeah. mate, how, how, how far before you got to refill a, a normal, you know, 45, 50 litre tank? You don't get well over a thousand kilometres without something able to help you get there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Looking at the photo in the background, the early days of rallying, is that what, what's that rally car behind you? Is it a little RX2 or is it a Corolla no. Corona or Datsun? I'm way off. A, G, a GB Galant. <laughs> oh, Galant. None of the above. There you go. Um, it ended up with a, um, what was in it? A Dodge Canter truck motor um, because the Mitsubishi's had the time. Remember they had this sort of silent camshaft in them? In the, yeah. Well, the Dodge Canter was effectively the same as that without it, without the silent camshaft. Um, no, big bores and 48 mil Webbers and the five-speed um, gearbox out of well, one of the Mitsubishi's, Starians or something. And um, you know, disc brakes all around that were modified, a Datsun, what was it, a Datsun 1500 ute rear, rear diff. So it was a real Group G car. And those have been around rallying for a while. Group G, you could, could run anything that you liked. And so we just kept on bolting things on and, and, and uh, making, try and make them go faster and whatever. But, um, yeah, it's, it was way the sport was at the time. Is, is Group G still around or is, this what, is that what... Um... Club rally cars, the three yeah, cars. club rally cars. Group, you can run Group G in in classics. Um, John Ludlam's got a that's in sixteen hundred with a oh, rotary motor in it. Yep, that thing's awesome. Um, that's a genuine Group G car. Um, you can run them if it's been continuous. You can't go and build a Group G car and say, "Look what I've built." Yeah. But if it, if the car's got some history, you can now continue to run them in in classics. Club rally cars are very open on what you can do on those. So people who have whinged and moaned about you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do something else, well, with the amount of different rules and regulations available within our sport nowadays, if you can't build something that you can go and have some fun in a rally car, well, you're just finding the negatives for not being able to compete. 
Yeah, or you, you didn't have a good read of what you're trying to do before you sit out. We sit in uh, yeah, mate, our category all the time. So on that, uh, while and, so yeah. if you've been around a while in motorsport, you've come across heaps of people who built the car and then turn up to the rally or the racetrack or wherever and go, and look what I've built. Yeah. <laughs> well, dude, it doesn't match any regulations. What are you planning to do with it? Um, but that's what people love building their cars. So, um, but you've got to have regulations. Like I quite often joke about the fact that, you know, if you had a tennis racket that was twice as powerful as anyone else's tennis racket or golf stick that could knock a golf ball twice the distance, well, if you don't have rules and regulations, well, it's just anarchy. Um, so you've got to have something that says, well, we're all on a level playing field. Yeah, absolutely. So with with that, that leads into one of the questions I've, I've got from one of our one of our fan favourites um, and someone we've talked to before on the show. But the the three C club rally cars, will we see them in Targa at some stage? Do you think? Um, within Targa, we we don't write our own regulations, which we briefly mentioned about E eighty five. So we don't ban E eighty five. We we this. There's a number of vehicle regulations. You could rattle them off for ages, but um, this Targa Australia, who's Targa Tasmania, have their own tarmac um, technical regulations, which you can run anything in there. CAMS then have the CAMS tarmac technical regulations. And then there's a whole heap of um, different PRC and a whole heap of different classes within gravel. And like John O'Dowd's even run his um, Skoda. So we're fairly open to running anything that fits, that's built to a regulation. There's a few things that um, uh, we say before you build it, come and see us. So if you're going to build a straight out car that's, that's in a set of regulations, um, you go your hardest and build it and then come and rally it and love you to. But if you're on the, no, within the PRC rules, you can run anything which is production rally class. Um, if you want to start running club rally cars, the only thing with the club rally cars is you can, you can put any sort of engine in it um, out of the same manufacturer. So you've got to remember that that could mean that you could put an Evo 10 engine into a Starion and things like that, So, which you just wouldn't do for gravel because the, the dynamics just wouldn't work correctly. But you could potentially do that in tarmac. Um, and that's what we don't want to see. Like, um, you, you say, we've got to have some formal regulations, but we're fairly open to running, allowing anything that's Motorsport Australia regulations or FIA regulations or, um, or no, Targa Australia regulations. Um, if anyone wants to get right onto the limit of any of those regulations, um, come and see us. Um, had a guy the other day ring us about running a Starion and what he wants to do with it and looking forward to him turning up next year. So, um, so there you go. You heard it here first. Denver Parker, you don't want to get beaten by a bloody Starion, so pull your finger out. Yeah, I would love to see Denver in a, in a, um, in a legal car. Like he's another one who wants, I think it's E85, and there's a few other things. And I understand his car's built to go motor racing. And we have allowed him to compete in Targa West in what we call our invitation class. 
but the invitation class is meant to be for you know, people to come and have a taste and a try and, and do it. Which Denver's done and he's done exceptionally well, but you know, he'll never win anything in, within yeah. the target world within that car. It's designed to go motor racing. Yeah, well, he's, I think he's wanting to build a earlier gen Skyliner PRC rules, which appeals to anyone, you know, like my other car, it's, it's would, would fit in there really. Um, but you'd have such a massive advantage. You really would. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I say, I'm not a technical person, but um, as the classic rules, as they keep moving up from year to year to year, yeah. um, it's not a fixed year. I think Targa Australia, it's, it's, you know, it's a moving scale. So as, let's say, the more modern classic cars come available, um, some of those early Nissans are going to be rocket ships. So, oh, and that's and that's what we're you're starting to get into. So that yeah. that twenty five year old, you're starting to get into the uh, the second generation RX sevens, the turbocharged rotaries, the early yeah. gen GDRs. The yeah, you're seeing some really light, really powerful cars. But yeah. um, yeah. over east, there's um, oh, was Mountain Motorsports. It's um, tarmac something or other. They've got greater freedoms on their cars, but we don't allow their cars to compete in our events because they're running double ASA. Yeah. Um, so we're running, you know, Targa Australia comes under Motorsport Australia. So anything that Motorsport Australia recognises as a, a class um, for, for rallying, it's only the club rally cars that we would really like to discuss before um, people go and build them and, and turn up and say, look what I've built and uh, surprises yeah. with, with some silly rocket ship. Um, there's no, we don't try and hide away from the fact that tarmac rallying is, is a very dangerous sport and we've gone some years now um, without a major accident and that's the way we want to keep it. So we're always encouraging people to you know, come and do our, our rally sprints or or something where they can get experience rather than turning up with a car that, you know, look what I've built, but they haven't bothered to go and do the driver training to go with it. Yeah, and that's, um, that's a really good segue into, into the sort of the next question I had. So for, for the general people, people that come along to watch the Targa that are not, um, you know, not initiated hardcore motorsport people that don't understand the makeup of the events or, or how it happens from a driver point of view, when you do have an incident in Targa, like with the city sprint and, you know, managing to park cars and, and parking meters and stuff like that, what happens then? What's what's the outfall from that? Is that hard for a promoter like you or it's just the it gets paid for and it gets fixed up and everyone's happy? <laughs> Money solves a lot of problems. Um, no, it's not quite that. Well, it's certainly not that simple. Like for the city stage that we run of using the Terrace Road car park, the city of Perth parking put up signs a week before that the roads are going to be, uh, no, the car park's going to be closed. Um, and we've got a, an agreement with them to be able to use that car park. Um, and if there's cars still in there on Sunday morning, um, yes, we've got no choice but to pick them up and move them. And um, through main roads, I believe what happens is that they get the, um, the number plate and bring the car owner up and say that their car's been moved. And, um, yeah. It's... I was meaning more so from... Uh like a competitor crashing like on a racetrack we sort of we sort of know the drill there and the racetracks are built to take a bit of damage but like you're saying it's really dangerous in a tarmac environment 
and uh, luckily we haven't had really two major cra- many many major crashes here. We've been kind of lucky. Um, yeah, well, no, to, to handle a, an accident in in rallying or for any type of rallying um, on on tarmac rallying, we have a. Um, at the start of every stage, we have a doctor, we have an ambulance, we have um, Ashenden, what's Ashenden First Intervention, which is um, the jaws of life and means of getting into any any passenger that's in the vehicle that the medical team need to get into and make the car stable. And we have um, recovery or tow trucks nearby. So um whether it's the city stage or the back blocks of 2j or up at maryville it's the same procedure um the only big difference is that when a car has an accident in front of spectators as in a city stage or ellenbrook everybody is an expert of how it should be recovered and can see everything that goes on if if and expect it to all happen within a matter of seconds if you um if you're having a, a, no, a recovering a vehicle or, or going to a scene of an accident on Targa West on some of the longer stages at Bullsbrook or Maryville, well, naturally it's going to take time to get those vehicles there. If it's on a on gravel rallying, um, we run it to the state championships run with one ambulance. So they're centrally located and it's just going to take time to get them there. And so that's why we stress with our drivers is to know the procedures of what to do. Um, Every rally car is fitted with a a rally safe um, device. Um, If anyone who's listening wants to know about them, just Google rally safe and have a look at it. It's a device that was made in Tasmania um, by Stephen Sims to be able to track vehicles. And in Stephen's history was that he turned up to a major accident in Target Tasmania some years ago and as rally people do, or human beings do, sitting around having a beer and a barbecue um, for many nights, well, probably for many years after that, trying to figure out how the hell can we track cars when they're stopped? And um, he got together with some smart guys and developed Rally Safe. And now uh, Rally Safe's now used in the World Rally Championship. So we're very lucky to be have it. Um, it's not a cheap exercise. It's quite an expensive exercise. Um, but it tracks all the cars all the time. Um, if they uh, if they stop suddenly. It'll set off a G-force, so we get notification that no, it's a red alert, that there's a car stopped um, quicker than they could with their brakes, or they've hit a tree or hit something. Um, or even if they just stop because they've got a calf problem or a flat tyre, it'll come up amber on our devices in, in headquarters. And so we then know that the cars um, stopped on the side of the road. The cars talk to each other. So the next competitors coming along, they'll either know that the car's on amber parked on the side of the road, or they'll know that the car's parked on the side of the road and it's requiring medical help. And um, from there, we can activate our devices and our units. And probably in all reality, it takes 30 seconds to a minute to tell the ambulances and the doctors and the fire crews to get themselves ready. And if the competitor hasn't turned off the the emergency, we presume that he has got an emergency and then we send the the crews in. And that could take 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes for them to get to the scene of the accident. 
Um, and you know, fingers crossed, everything will be. You know, they'll they'll be good in the long run. Um, we've certainly put a number of people in hospital over the times, but um, but that's a lot of the case. Most of the case is precautionary. There's certainly there's some who've suffered from um, spinal injuries or bone injuries, or you know, as in broken bones or something, ankle injuries, which is common in motorsport. Uh, the spinal injury one's an interesting one since we brought in frontal head restraints. Um, this downforce down the spine, so we're finding a lot of competitors are having lower spine injuries. And this also happens in um, off-roading and um, Barry Day or the Dakar rallies and things like that when, when they go over the jumps. So uh, it's very important that competitors have the correct seat, seat belts, um, and, and the frontal head restraint all designed for them. You can't, like I'm six foot four, I can't drop or jump into a car that's had a had someone who's you know, five foot four. It just, just doesn't work. And you guys would know that as good as anyone. It's You've got to have the seats, the belts, um, and the frontal head restraint set correctly. Even the holes in the back of the seats have got to be set for your shoulders. You can't have the belts going at the wrong angle or you know, injuries can happen. But if even... But even a, a sore back for some weeks or months is far better than a broken neck. So frontal head restraints have been uh, a blessing for our for motorsport worldwide, from Formula One through to you know, local rallies roaring around the back blocks of Manjimup. Mm. Now that's um, you're an absolute pro at this because you just you pretty much just answered the next question. I was going to ask you what <laughs> what's changed in, in rallying safety wise. You know, so is that sort of that's that's what I get into. That's what we do. Um, and you know, like you said, people building, I see a lot of people build or, or buying cars that are just, you know, the, um, cage bars aren't at the right height for them. The seats aren't low enough in the car or they're too tall. Belts are set up way wrong. Um, that, you know, they've had a hand-me-down harness device. They should be in the next size up, etc. You just, you see it all, but, um, you sort of covered what's changed safety wise. The rally app, the rally safe app or, or tool, I should say is, um, Safety-wise, yeah. yeah. Rally-safe, um, the advantage of rally-safe, it'll tell us that there's been an accident, we've got to get going, whereas um, now up to that point was we have what a radio SOS system, which is a radio chatter going through the forest and keeping track of all the cars, and those guys still come out. They're absolutely brilliant at what they do. Um, back in my day, you got out of your crashed car and lay on the ground and wait for the sweeper to go past, then you waited for your service crew to pick you up. Um, but no, for whatever reason, we didn't have very often requiring ambulances or anything like that. The cars are a lot faster, um, which means that they crash faster. But since frontal head restraints have come in, uh, we've certainly had, you know, I suppose the horrible word is, you no, know, we haven't had as many fatalities um, right around the country, if not right around the world. Frontal head restraints have, have saved a lot of competitors' lives. And you only got to watch the, the videos about frontal head restraints. Um, you know, sometimes within rallying, one, one driver, let's say the driver's got a frontal head restraint on and his co-driver hasn't. Oh, yeah, that's true, yeah. And the, the, the driver's head stays stationary, and the and the, um, the co-driver's head flops around, and it just it's just a horrible feeling just to look at them. So, 
Um, mate, if you, for those who are around when Rally Australia was around, when um, Carlos Saints rolled over down at, um, I think it was down at the Bunnings area, I think it was the one, when if you slowed it down, you could see his whole head and half his shoulders come out through the window, even with a full harness seatbelts and, and a rally seat as at those years, the body would still move around heaps. Um, the seats now with some um, wraparound seats. I think they got a proper name, haven't they? Because the um, the head head um, restraints on the side of the seats, so the head just can't move at all. Um, we, when we do our rookies thing, it's you know, to set up the car. You got to get the the right cage, the right seats, the right belts. Um, do all that side of it. And then you can work on the rest of getting the right tyres, the right brakes, the suspension, transmission. And then the last thing you work on is the engine. But motorsport people usually do it the other way around. They love to Absolutely. put the big engine in and then go, oh, look at that. I'm just blowing up my clutch and my gearbox. So they fix that up and work their way to the diff. And then they go to the suspension and then um, worry about themselves. But if you're in the car and you feel safe, you'll go a lot quicker. And if you want to go to the next step, um, you, you should be getting some training. And we're lucky in WA to have, let's say, Alistair McRae. Um, and you know, you spend a few bucks with him. And I, I know it's you're talking the hundreds of dollars, um, but or anybody like that, to go and spend some money with a, someone who knows how to do the sport properly. And in the long run, you'll save yourself um, panel damage, like even... Oh, tenfold. Yeah, just to do a bumper and a headlight and a fender, you're going to spend a hell of a lot more money than what you would have if you'd had done some drive training before you went out there and started. So, um, no, from a target point of view, come along and enjoy the rally sprints. Go out and get some driver training from whoever it may be and learn the skill. Learn that uh, Clive Slater, for many of your listeners may remember Clive, he used to do some driver training way back in the 70s and 80s. And he used to say to me that if you play football or basketball or netball, whatever, you train on Tuesday, you train on Thursday, you play on Saturday, you train on Sunday. Well, motorsport people seem to think that they can um, come out three or four times a year or even once a year and be competent at this sport. You, yeah. you just can't do it. You've, it's no different to any other sport. It's practice, 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 practice. You can't practice on an open public road, which railing runs on. Um, we close the roads. Um, so the only other thing is you can practice on you know, the, the motorplex or go along to car club autocrosses or carnacrosses and just get seat time. Just like as young dudes, we'd go up to the Mullabini airstrip, which is an old World War II airstrip, and just, I suppose we cut loose as, as nutcases as we were back then, but without even knowing what we were doing. We were getting seat time and, and learning um, the sideways control of a motor car, which was an invaluable experience. Absolutely. And that's, uh, yeah, that's... Uh spot on and we're kind of blessed in WA we've got so many opportunities to private hire the tracks, there's so many test days at Collie and Barbagallo, there's the up at Bakers Hill there that's you yep. know, every weekend pretty much is, is up there and you can test you know if you remember the right right guys the, the rally sprints are huge down at Quinana there, you know, yep. 70 odd entries plus, it's um we're pretty lucky we've got so much opportunity to do it um Speaking of opportunities to rally, and, and another question from another fan. 
Um, will we see stages around Bandoon come back? <laughs> Is that from the owners of the Bindoon Bakery by any chance? <laughs> um, from someone that frequents the bakery a lot, I could say that much. <laughs> um, it, it is a current question. Um, it's, it's a, I won't get into the politics or what happened while we left Bindoon, but it was a, a change of local government, local councillors, and they decided they didn't want to be part of Targa West, so we had no choice but to move on. And uh, we're still up at 2J. Um, we we're running around Bullsbrook, which is city of Swan. We've managed to get back into Lower Chittering or Maryville. Um, and it was only uh, our patron, Jan Stagbar, um, lovely lady, and she was, and there's a story behind that, but anyway, she was the one who's the shy president of Chittering at the time, said, yes, Targa West could get up and running. And then she went out to 2J and Calamunda and City of Perth and pushed our barrow for us. Uh, but she saw us at the event and said, um, uh, Bindoon Bakery really wants Targa West to go back up there uh, because it was their best weekend of the year. And with the new highway, freeway, one highway going up and bypassing Bindoon, then they're now trying to get into events. And it's really strange. Like I've been doing this for 40 years. Of we've gone by the through the sport of nobody wanting to know about us. Um, we disappeared into the dark and did our own thing, and no one complained. And then we were a bit of a controversial sport for a few years. But now a lot of these country towns understand what our events are all about. And um, no, even even a small rally, even if you're only in there for. Uh, a day, you, you go in there and you're buying fuel, you're going to the bakery, you're buying accommodation, You and, and and it's not long before tens of thousands of dollars are spent by the people within the sport who go into a country town for a day. Um, and that's the sort of thing that a small place like Bindoon will soon be looking for, of, of saying, well, what can, what can they attract up there? Um, so I told Jan that we'd go up there and um, share a, a Bindoon Bakery bun and a coffee with the, the ladies that run it and have a chat to her and, and see what is possible. But our, our currently at the moment, the way Targa West is, we run for four days and we chock a block full with stages. Um, so we'd need to drop something. And my people have said, to, why don't we go to Collie and all sorts of places? But you've got to remember... It's the travelling time. So if you're going to spend 40 minutes travelling to do an eight-minute stage and 40 minutes back again, it's pretty hard to justify unless it loops you into something else. Like the Timberton stage that we ran this year on Targa West is, is a nothing stage, but it's a bit of fun and it stops the drive from 2J over to Lower Chittering. It just adds something into that drive. Um, it's the fastest stage we've got by far. And um, just breaks up, you know, just adds something to uh, to the event. Yeah, and it works. Yeah, and yeah. So, so on the cards, but it has to work. Be, in. Yeah, we won't. Yeah. It's not saying we'll never be back at Bindoon. Um, so we will be up there to have a uh, have a chat to them, whether that's before Christmas or soon after. Um, you could run a rally sprint on on the stage up there. But you see, the difference between a rally and a rally sprint is is a rally we will run the stage once or twice 
and we pretty well say an hour to set up, an hour to run, an hour to pull down is give or take. It might be four hours total. But to, to have your competitors to go up to Bindoon to do you know, this one stage twice, everyone will go, what's all that about? So you've got to run a lot more, like, like Bunbury, where we run you know, eight stages, run the same stage four times one way, four times the other way, and you make a day out of it. So whether you'd run a little a little rally out of Bindoon or, or a rally sprint or something, um, we'll keep on looking to see what we can do. Wicked. Oh, heard it here first. Yeah. Um, back to you personally, and two quick questions before I give you back to Shane because we're, we're pretty much at time as it is, as yeah. we always keep rambling on. Um, when you were driving, did you, or even now you, 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 you know, you're um, organising and, Obviously, you go through a little procedure and you have your, your way you like to start the day or whatever. Um, did you have any weird superstitions when you were driving or do you have any weird superstitions now? You've got to wear this sock or, yeah, um, you know, eat, eat this, have that, you know, whatever. Everyone's got their own weird thing. We've seen a few trends. No, some of the no. circuit guys. Never, never been like anything like that. Um, no, didn't have my favourite set of jocks at a wall in a rallying or anything. Yeah. Um, back then, well, I suppose, you know, in a way, like when I rallied, there was no driving seats. Um, we, a pair of jeans and a um, car club T-shirt. And, um, and like I, I even had, uh, I think once, some desert boots. I rallied TVs. with desert boots. I knew the bloody thing melt. <laughs> <laughs> And like I always wore a helmet, but when I got into the sport, it was when helmets were becoming compulsory. But if you look back far enough back, it was a Terry Towling hat was what competitors wore when they were driving. So not just for paint the house. When you think that um no, from Terry Towling Hat to what they wear nowadays in, in pretty much 40 years. And I know that sounds like a long time, but for many of us, it's we've seen the sport change that much. Yeah. But roll, roll cages weren't compulsory when I started. And um, uh, the first guy that I got friendly with, um, I went round, he rolled into a paddock and the roof came down level with the... Um, with the window sills, and, um, and then I started asking, "Well, how do you stop this from happening?" Because he was a lot shorter than I was, and uh, yeah, yeah it, you, you just you just wouldn't. Well, you can't. I know. I know. In Targa One Thirty, we've allowed cars to um, not run cages in them, but they now need to wear frontal head restraint, which means they've got to run the the five point harness, which means they need to bolt onto something. So. At least yeah. half a cage is generally what most of those guys are doing. Yeah, and then you got you know with companies like AGI that do a bolt and option for most of the popular cars, it makes it yeah you know fairly easy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and that's you pretty much answered the second question. To say is in the early days, is there anything that stands out that you could get away with that you just can't do now? Um, Terry Telling hat, you know, I thought they're just for wearing where you're painting the side of the house. <laughs> Um, yeah, all those. Like the sport is 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 ch- totally changed, and, and like I've been running rallies since the nineteen seventies, and I I don't really have much memory of how we got approval. I know we used to go to the forestry and get approval, but the the whole the whole approval place process has changed completely. Um, 
and no, it's just the way the, the world is. Um, yeah, there was no ambulances out there. There was no doctors out there. Um, we were relatively lucky. I suppose we were very lucky that Rally Australia came along and, and changed the way that we thought about a lot of things that um, uh, I, when we, when I went down to have um, the Harvey Weir special stage and had a look at that, reminded me of, gee, long time, more than about 35 years ago, we ran a, a stage through there as part of the Australian Rally Championship and we strung a, a piece of tape across a fairly major road and that was the road closure. It was to have road closures in you know, 20s, 30s, 40s and Target West, we close off 100 roads and admittedly that's tarmac. So it's a bit different to being out on the forest, but back in the 70s, the road closures were you know, very far and few between. And now we have every track that looks like a vehicle could get down is generally manned it would have to be something that was fairly overgrown that we would run with just a bit of tape or a mesh across it. Um, you know, motorbikes on gravel rallies are a, a major issue that you run in a rally and if you're out there doing a control and you can hear a motorbike in the distance, you just think, where the hell is that motorbike going to end up? Um, even around Wellington Dam with a, the current bunch of big four-wheel drives that just think that um, the roads are for the weak and they just like to think that they can bush bash through the bush wherever they like and can come across a rally road, which is you know, where they've come out. is not taped. There's no sign of them at all. Um, so that's a bit of a worry that we've, we've got to worry you know, anything that where we can put people, we do. So it's a major exercise nowadays of finding road closures to help us make the, the course safe. Um, back in the early days, there was not much thought put into that at all. Mm. Oh, wicked, man. Thank you very much for your time. You're an absolute pro at this. Um, you sort of segued naturally in just about everything I had had ticked off um and um i'm stoked about bindoon and um getting up to the the bakery there uh more stoked that uh you know we've thrown the challenge out to denver to beat a starian because he uh the last hill crime he, he almost got cleaned up by an electric car so we we, we can't have the rv nation's yeah, hope um, and dreams hanging on that give a quick plug to albany yeah is that target we're running the hill climb again um down in albany um, but this year we'll be running an event on Sunday afternoon as well. That, um, oh, brilliant. Good uh, stuff. Just to make it worthwhile for the guys to go down there. I don't know where, how much public knowledge there is, but Race Wars isn't running in uh, 2021. So um, to encourage people to come down, we'll be running a, a relatively small event on um, Sunday afternoon and then the full hill climb on, on the Monday. Well, there you go. So the, um, the Saturday or the Sunday afternoon event, Will that be another hill climb like the wind farm? Will that be something on the S strip? Um, oh, no, no. It's it's uh, if you know where the wind farm is and then there's yep. the whale station. If you keep going out, if you keep left instead of right to the whale station, there's camp quarren up right out on the point. 
Um, and we, no, I'm going down there in a few weeks' time. Um, Will White was down there in his removalist truck, and I said, Will, go and have a look at this road and tell me if we can run it as a competition. Ian French lives down there, and Frenchy's come back and said it's a, a good piece of road. So um, there's no road closures on it that we need, so it's something that we can set up fairly quick and simply and nice. just have a, have a bit of fun. Um, and as a bit of a warm up to the the main hill climb event on the on the Monday. Oh, brilliant! Good. That's that's awesome news. Mm. It's really good. Cool. So that's what we've got to get organised. No, apart from our rally sprint season and and Bunbury, which is on in four weeks' time, and naturally start looking at Target Southwest and Target West for next year. Uh, we've done a, a draft calendar, but before we get it out too many people we just want to go through the process of checking with um because it fits in with the gravel rally championship um as well as um the or the tarmac events so we've got to make sure that um everyone's on side and there's no issues we've currently got a bit of an issue with the forest rally date for next year which um might sound silly but it all goes back to the grand prix so when you're setting a, a car club event, um, you go from Formula One set their dates, which then means the supercar set their dates, and the supercar bases their dates around the football calendar. Um, and from there, we can set the Australian Rally Championship, and then you can set all these other events. So setting the, um, the, the calendar for any form of motorsport is just hard work. So there's a number of things that we're trying to... Um, clear before tick off, tick off before we announce what the calendar will be for the WA Rally Championship and the, and the Targa events. Cool. No, I'm looking forward to it. And I'm, um, I'm, I'm really stoked on the news about Albany and uh, yeah, it's been awesome to talk to you. Thanks, and, uh, mate. I think we might have to get uh, Rod Gilchrist to do a uh, Terry Towling helmet design for someone. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, had the orange one. That's I just remember him always painting the house with a little matching orange AM radio. There's always yeah. cricket, and there's the longest ball I've ever seen painted in my life. <laughs> um, last couple of questions for you um, before we wrap it up. Um, if you could have competing in one of your events, uh, any driver from any era, uh, any form of motorsport. Who would you want? Can I just leave it as, at, let's say, Sebastian? <laughs> and then you get two. <laughs> um, I quite like any of those World Rally Championship guys. Um, we had Ari Vatnan come over to Canberra for an Australian Rally Hall of Fame dinner, and I was fortunate enough to sit in in a, an Audi Quattro um, and, and, and strangely, he said, well, I'll put on a helmet. And he says, no, 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 he can't put on a helmet because he's, he's not allowed to do any motorsport. And so he's not allowed to wear a helmet. So, <laughs> so it was a fairly tame drive, but it was an Ari Vatnan tame drive. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so any of those guys, look, wouldn't it be good if we could get a, a Carlos Saints or a Kankinen or someone like that back out to WA just to relive the World Rally Championship days? Um you know, someone like like from a target point of view, I'd love to get um, Neil Bates over here. Neil, Neil and Coral have been good friends of ours for thirty years. He's done. Uh, no, we've done many forest rallies with me organising and, and them competing. I'd love to see them back in one of their classic Salikas. 
yeah. probably wouldn't be an outright winning car, but sure as hell would give them a run for their money. You wouldn't want to blink and you'd be right on top of them all. So, um, yeah, but um, Kankin and Sainz, um, no, any of the Sebastian, either of the Sebastians would be be really good to come out here. Nice. And final question for the night. The um, who who would you say are your your biggest supporters and support in keeping Targo West running and uh, keeping, you know, some hair on top of your head that's left? Um, I probably should have started all this about by giving Elthway a plug and it, it all starts with them. And in all reality, um, you, you need your sponsors to run these things. And Elthway has sponsored the Forest Rally uh, over 20, probably 23 years now, they've sponsored 16 years of Targa West. Um, and without their money, without their support, we just couldn't possibly do what we do. Um, and you know, Bob Schrader helped us get Targa West up and running. Um, he was the driving force of the early days. Now there's me and Jan and, and Dave Smith. And then, no, you, you, we really need, I think we had 400, close to 400 officials registered this year to run a four-day Targa West. And then there's people, who, no, I'll call them the hangers honours, who would probably turn up to help do a road closure with their, with their, with their mate or their dad or their you know, the girlfriends turning up with boyfriends or whatever and, and all those sorts of things. So uh, the backbone of making these things happen is... Um, you, know, you get your sponsorship, you then get approval and, and various different sponsors and then you get your approval from the local governments and, and the competitors and, and then um, you, you must have all the officials. And, and you just got to remember the way that local governments work, they change their council every two years. So you can't just say that those local governments will be backing us every year. It's a continual process of... So people say to us, oh, well, Target West is over for this year because it's not. Our next move is to go back out to Tujo and to Chittering and City of Swan and the Kalamundra and the Mundaring and the City of Perth and debrief with them and start planning for next year. So uh, it's, it's, you can't, we can't do what we can without the competitors or the officials or, or whatever. So it, it's one big thing. And then I just call it a massive, great big jigsaw. And you just keep putting the pieces together until you've got it all. And you'd say the jigsaw's finished when the first car goes over the start ramp. But um, there's still hoops to do after that. Fantastic. And, yeah, there's definitely lots of um, healthway signage out on the stages, which is good to see. I've actually uh, got a couple of the signs sitting in my office at the moment, which I've got to get back to you guys at some stage from uh, chucking them out on some corners to make sure there was, uh, they were in photos yep. during the Targa West. <laughs> so I blame Justin Hunt for that move. but um... Yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> It's what we like to do if we can get photographers to support us because it, you know, it's not like a, you know, a circuit where you can put up permanent signs. So we pack up and move the signs from point to point and ask our photographers to help us to do that if they can take up a quick pop-up sign. Yeah. It all works for all of us and, and to the benefit. And um, if we can give our sponsors good value for money, they'll keep coming back. If they keep coming back, we can run the events and... Um, 
and then make the whole big circuit and just keep on moving. We've been doing that for 16 years for Targa West and uh, let's hope we can keep it going for some years yet. Absolutely. All right, well, let's uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up because we've gone a little bit over time and, um, you yeah, know, we don't want to keep you uh, tied up chatting with us when no problem, more important man. things to do in life. You've probably noticed I can talk about rallying and organising of rallies. <laughs> <I'm an issue. laughs> um, so, yeah, look, thank you very much. Next event is the Bunbury Sprint. Oh, we've got a rally sprint on before that down at the Motorplex. Sorry, on. The Motorplex, my apologies. <laughs> yeah, 12th Thursday week, 12th of November, we're down at the, um, the Motorplex. Um, and for those that are real keen, um, the WA Car Club's got an autocross on tomorrow night, Wednesday night down at the Motorplex and the last round of the state championships on um, down at Jarrodale uh, on this, this Saturday coming. Yeah, beautiful. Yep. Well, thank you very much, Ross. Um, hope to catch up with you again soon and, uh, yeah, best of luck with everything with Targa West. Um, yeah. Thank you. As I said, well-run event, yeah, they're well-run events, and yeah, really cool to go see. So, hopefully, uh, you know, crowds will just get bigger and bigger, and competitive fields will get bigger too. Thank you. Yeah, we've had a good season so far this year, so let's hope it stays that way. Fantastic. Thanks, guys. That's uh, episode twenty-eight of Behind the Sport. Uh, catch us on all the usual social media and streaming services, and of course, we are now on Amazon. Um, but that's only for people who aren't in Australia. So, for a few people over in America, and that check us out on Amazon. Uh, we'll be back next week. I'm not going to jinx who we've got, but it's going to be around driftability again. Uh, thanks, Brent. Catch you later. Ciao. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks for that, Ross.